Hello and welcome to this week's My News Wrap, news from the world of SAP, Microsoft and the world in between. So let's get started with what happened this week and let's start with some more generic news around the SAP ecosystem. As you all know, next week will be the DSAG Live um, conference, completely virtual, um, what was formerly known as the Yardis Congress. So the, the big annual meetup of DSAG and um, in the in the um, getting things started around that, there are often some activities around DSAG um, covering strategic topics of SAP and discussing them throwing some um, light on them with respect to what do the users think. And uh, this week there have been two contributions in that area. First one is an official DSAG uh, Positionspapier, so a position paper, unfortunately only available in German, around SAP's cloud strategy, discussing the point of view of the users, of the user group, with respect to uh, the cloud strategy that SAP has and yeah addressing some some critical points addressing the points where there is a lot of room for improvement and from my perspective very um, important read is an it's an updated version so there was already a, a cloud strategy paper out there and they have updated it now in July 2021 and yeah from my perspective very valid points something that should be very carefully read and um, really taking into account because this is really very, very fair feedback from a lot of different perspectives, um, not only from a technological perspective, but also, of course, from a functional perspective, from a licensing perspective, uh, with respect to, to data security and so on. So that's that's really um, definitely worth a read, be it for SAP guys or be it for those who are not working for SAP. And then there was another um, discussion round, not directly from DSAG, but it was organized by Helge Sand from IT Online Magazine, again only in German, with some members of the board of DSAG, namely Otto Schell, Thomas Hensler and Christine Tussing, who discussed a very important offering of SAP, namely the Rise with SAP offering. And well, it was a very critical discussion and again, definitely worth watching. Very valid points, very fair um, feedback around that offering that was started off at the beginning of this year and something that will definitely get picked up, I would guess, in next week's keynotes around um, the DSHG Live. Again, well spent, yeah, 53 minutes of your time to watch that. Then, with this more strategical uh, thingies, let's switch to technology. Um, first of all, a blog post around the uh, cloud application programming model and another scenario where the cloud application program model might be in, come quite handy. Um, scenario is you have uh, OData endpoints, OData services that you exposed, and you want to build an adapter on top of that in order to expose them as pure REST services, so to hide this, this OData um, functionalities behind and really expose a uniform REST surface to the, to the outside world. A very well described motivation within the blog post and of course the blog post guides you through 
on how to uh, solve this uh, requirement making use of the cloud application programming model. Then um, another topic from the cloud application programming model, a tweet by Holger Schäfer that crossed my path this week. Uh, Holger, a very active member in the uh, CAP area, in the Fiori area, um, who highlighted that uh, the new um, SAP Fiori tools available for Visual Studio Code now allow you to um, visualize dependencies within your um, cloud application programming model CDS files. So you can now see which modules depend on which other. What you need is uh, the GraphWiz ex extension, and then you can visualize that, and you can also um, export that to SVG. Think um, really helpful in real-life scenarios where you do not just have a bookshop, but you might have a lot more dependencies within your um, within your cup um, project uh, that that really helps you to understand how the dependencies are looking like. Then um, another blog post that I'd like to highlight from Murali Shangmoham um, around um, AppGiver. AppGiver got uh, GA. I don't know when exactly. Um, I think it was this month, um, and now, of course, as expected, there are blog posts coming in, and this one kind of walks you through how to build an app um, using AppGyver on business technology platform. Of course, in minutes, it's a low-code tool. What else do we expect from that? Um, what I like about the blog post is that um, it already stumbles across some problems that are still there because it's an yeah, all the face that, that AppGyver um, is part of the, the SAP family um, with respect to combining um, the AppGyver app with C4C. So there are some serious cause issues that uh, Murali uh, came across. And the only way he, he was able to solve that um, was um, making use of the integration suite and the connectivity service on the business technology platform. So, so if you want to, to adapt um, uh, AppGyver now in, in this early stage, we'll be aware that um, there might be some, some rough edges that you have to come around. And uh, this blog post shows you how to come around uh, with those edges. Although, um, from my perspective, this is something that, that will hopefully be solved in the future because that, that makes absolutely no sense to have um, several services in between a local platform and um, a service of SAP. Now, with that, um, that's it for the pure SAP side for this week. Let's switch to the Microsoft part of the house. Um, starting, of course, with Azure Functions. Milvilina, um, also a person that I have referenced already quite often within this podcast, was really active this week. He brought out two videos. Um, first one is about a really nice functionality within the Azure Function Core Tools. Namely, you can extract your app settings from Azure into your local development environment, making use of the Functioner. And this short video shows you how to do that. That's super useful in order to not have to do uh, the the get the connection strings dance and and bring them into the local settings.json of your Azure function. That is a really easy and, and comfortable way how to do that. So super helpful if you want to do hybrid development. So, so you have your um 
your resources within Azure, but you want to implement your function locally. And then another video by, by Will um, with kind of a classic pairing within the area of Azure Functions, namely Azure Functions and the Cosmos DB change feed. So this video um, shows you how to bring those two things together and make that work with Azure Functions um, in the C-sharp or .NET flavor. Now, um, let's switch to durable functions. There is also something um, out there, um, a blog post series that started in April and this week the, the last um, post came out. Quite interesting approach. Um, the idea is to make use of durable functions or the durable functions engine as a workflow engine and layer on top uh, a no-code style functionality in order to model your workflows, which is quite yeah, natural, can be coming quite handy because you have the full flexibility of Azure Durable Functions and you can now use them um, with some yeah, low-code or, or no-code um, approach. So really, really interesting read on how to do that, especially when you think about the uh, CNCF um, undertakings around serverless workflows. There is a dedicated um, working group within the, the CNCF um, zoo of working groups who is tackling uh, the serverless workflow topic. And they are also using a um, uh, declarative approach, so like AWS step functions. And there are some shortcomings for that. But when you think about, well, that's just the declarative description of my workflow, I can map that to a workflow engine and I have to do that. Why not use Ruble functions? So yeah, really quite interesting. And, and let's see where, where things evolve there. And then um, another interesting blog post, kind of a technical helper for a very specific problem, but, but not exotic problem. Um, and that's how to check um, the Elastic Premium plan um, function app with respect to the instance counts history. So how many instances have been run within that um, um, premium plan and how to find out about them. Um, and this blog post uh, quite short, but guides you through uh, the three main options, how you can do that in order to find this um, instance count history. So I think super helpful um, if you don't have to fiddle that out yourself. And then, um, Within the area of serverless, of course, the, the newest kit on the block um, also has you know, two more blog posts under the belt. Um, I'm talking about Azure Static Web Apps. There is one um, <clears throat> nice intro blog post around Static Web Apps with Azure Functions called Hello Thanos, um, who guides you through uh, creating a very plain um, web app with an Azure Functions API backend and um, making use of validating uh, a capture in between. How you can do that um, mediated by the Azure Function. So if you're starting with Azure Functions, I think that's that's already a um, bit of a step forward from the plain vanilla hello world thingies. Um, so quite useful read from my perspective. And then there's another one that's going again a bit further um from microsoft azure themselves um about uh, the topic of authentication of azure static web apps making use of microsoft graph and of course azure active directory 
and combining that with a lot of other cool shit on the Azure Static Web websites, namely uh, Blazor WebAssembly as the front end. And yeah, this uh, blog post guides you through that. There is also a GitHub repository attached to that. However, a little word of warning, um, the readme of the GitHub repository is in Korean. So um, hopefully the code speaks for itself. With that, let's switch also on the Microsoft side to the low-code, no-code side of the house. Um, and um, I wouldn't say how to get rid of it, but um, what happens if uh, you run into the, the boundaries of Power Automate and have to switch to Logic App? There is a blog post that I referenced within the show notes um, that tells you how to transition from Power Automate to Logic Apps. So it's it's not about this blog post is absolutely not about bashing Power Automate or something like that, but it's about um, what are the 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 areas of expertise or the the use cases where to use Power Automate and where to use Logic Apps. And it might well happen that you stretch the boundaries of Power Automate and really have to switch to to our Logic Apps, or maybe you you made a wrong start and start with Power Automate. Also, your use case is not fitting. Then this blog post gets you help. I get you supported with um, moving your Power Automate app to um, Logic Apps. So that's, um, I think, really, really cool, really useful. Then, um, in the world of containers, Kubernetes, what happened there? Um, Dapper got a new minor release, uh, minor version update. Dapper 1.4 is now available with quite some um, nice new improvements around existing uh, features and some uh, cool new components. For example, the NUTS Jetstream PubSub Broker. So if you're using NUTS um, and uh, NUTS Stream, there is this new kit, which is NUTS uh, Jetstream. That's kind of the way to go. Um, and there is now a PubSub Broker available within Dapper. And another announcement from the area of CNCF. That's also quite cool. Um, one year ago, Crossplane or, or Upbound donated Crossplane to the uh, Cloud Native Foundation as a sandbox project. And now that one was promoted as an incubation project. That's uh, really great. Um, the idea behind Crossplane is to give you uh, a universal UI, uh, API for your resources that you consume within Kubernetes. Um, that's, I think, um, really, really um, helpful, um, especially if you, if you do cross-consumption. So you have some services of AWS, you have some services of, of Azure, Google, whatsoever, and you do not want to have always specifics within your Kubernetes area. So um, then cross-plane comes into play. That's exactly the idea of cross-plane. Um, and, well, it was, it was promoted as an incubation project just because um, it really um, gained speed. And AWS and, and Azure are heavily supporting now in order to make the, the consumption quite smooth, which is, of course, also in their interest because it creates revenue. If you do not know about uh, Crossplane, uh, just go to crossplane.io, which is the landing page, which uh, very well explains you what Crossplane is all about. And it also there is also a video or, or a little conference um, talk uh, contained there um, that explains the the basic idea behind crossplane. Yeah, then let's switch to the area of DevOps, or should I say, the area of GitHub. 
Um, there have, again, been a lot of releases this week. Uh, first one is that releases within your GitHub project can now have an avatar list. So you can um, create that avatar list by referencing contributors to the release within the release notes, and they will then be depicted um, under the, the, the release notes. That's really cool, especially for open source projects, in order to highlight contributors to um, that, that project. So another nice little feature that can really help the, the community to improve engagement. Then um, another nice um, add-on add um, around um, organizations or for organizations. You can have now readmes for organization profiles, so your organization profile cannot be made can now be made um, much more um, attractive for folks who are looking at that one. How to do that? That's all described within the blog post that I've referenced. And then from a more um, technical perspective, the um, the GitHub API got an extension, a, a new um, GraphQL mutation, technically, for authoring commits, which makes your life easier with respect to creating commits on branches. So you can do, uh, you can combine a lot of actions with this mutation within one um, um, call, and do not have to do uh, issue several HTTP calls in order to reach uh, a commit on a branch. So that's, um, I think, really useful. And then there was also um, a video that got um, streamed this week from the, the demo days of GitHub that guides you through in, um, I think, run about 45 minutes. Or it's, yeah, it's 48 minutes. Um, from having an idea of building something to a complete AKS deployment making use of all the, the features and bits and pieces that are available within GitHub. So that's also quite nice. I think very well spent 48 minutes. Um, in order to see what's possible and how, how GitHub uh, can support you um, with, with bringing things to life, bringing things to production. Yeah, with that, let's go to the um, generic news from the Microsoft world, and there is big news um, around the .NET 6 area. The release candidate one, so the, the first of the two release candidates that will come out before .NET 6 gets GA, is, has been uh, released this week. So it's now available, and the blog post that I referenced um, is the um, yeah, announcement blog post that tells you how to install it, uh, what to do, um, what what are known issues that are still in there within the release candidate and that uh, people know already about, and where can you find your issues if you find new ones. So .NET 6, it's getting serious. And um, last week, I think within the Azure function section, I highlighted the, the minimal API story or the minimal API functionality within .NET 6. And this week there is a blog post, um, no, it was already last week, pardon me. It was last week a blog post came out about the minimal APIs at a glance within .NET 6, guiding you through the idea of this new functionality and what you can do with that and how it makes your life easier with a lot of um, references if you want to dive deeper into that topic. 
And then um, finishing the Microsoft um, part of the house with one announcement or one thingy that, that came out this week, and that's the Azure Software as a Service Development Kit, ASDK, um, which is the fastest way to get your SaaS Software as a Service offering up and running on Azure. And it's not just some... some um, marketing bubble there is a github repository behind that offering um, that contains a reference architecture sample architecture with a reference implementation on how to do such a, uh, how to implement such a SaaS offering on azure um, and it's, it's not just a, a hello world easy peasy um, setup so it's really um, something that that takes into account several personas that really has a combination of real life um, functionality stick together, including something like, like an application gateway, like Azure Key Vault, and so on and so forth. So uh, it's not really uh, easy to digest um, architecture, but it's real life. So I think that's, that's really super helpful um, when you want to get started with software as a service on Azure. Um, yeah, side remark, would be great to have something like that on BTP, right? Um, I've never said that aloud. Now, with that, let's switch to the area in between SAP and Microsoft. And there was one blog post that was, was um, brought out by the SAP community around integrating Microsoft Teams with the SAP Digital Manufacturing Cloud, which is um, one child branch, however you want to call it, uh, from the um, industry cloud offering of SAP. And this blog post guides you through uh, the steps you have to do in order to have um, a, a webhook-based app um, within Microsoft Teams that is connected to the SAP Digital Manufacturing Cloud. Um, quite um, cool description, quite extensive, so I think easy to follow along and to, to get your feet wet with um, integrating Teams with another area of um, SAP. And of course, as every week, um, a new edition of the SAP on Azure video podcast is out with a lot of information in there, focusing this time on the Cloud Adoption Framework. Um, there have already been several um, sessions around the Cloud Adoption Framework within the SAP on Azure video podcast. Now this one um, uh, discusses it from, from a different angle and, and puts a bit of different center of gravity around the Cloud Adoption Framework because you often get the impression when you have your first touch point that it's all about, the focus is quite infrastructural, but there is a lot more around that. There is a lot more um, important stuff that you have to think about um, and that the, the uh, CUF really helps you, the Cloud Adoption Framework really helps you um, in getting things started besides setting up the virtual machine center and the network in in the right way. Um, however, when you take a look at the CAF, the, the innovation part is still quite slim, let's let's say it that way. But um, again, another cool session by the folks from Microsoft around Holger Bruchelt. Then um, one contribution from the area of learning, um, more on the soft skill side, there is a new learning path out in uh, Microsoft Learn. 
around building your tech resilience. And the, the bottom line is a lot of people within tech area um, actively decide to leave tech because the area might be unwelcoming or in some occasions even toxic. And now this, um, this learning path should help you with, and I, I cite the, the text on the learning path, should, should help you with building a more inclusive future for the tech industry by fostering confidence, a growth mindset, resilience, and a sense of belonging. So I think these are very, very important things that are often forgotten when it, when it comes to build tech and make the life of people really hard if the, the environment gets unwelcoming or, as I said, even toxic. Um, really cool that Microsoft picked up this topic and even gathered a learning path around that. So if you if you have the time or if you always want to spend a bit of time in there, I think that's that's definitely worth doing. Um, it says it's it's five hours fifty two minutes that have to be spent. It's always I think really the, the upper limit that is stated there, but I think that's definitely something worth spending your time. With that, um, last section for today: developer productivity. I have one announcement that uh, came out yesterday um, around Microsoft Power Toys. So hopefully you are, if you are on Windows, already using Microsoft Power Toys, um, but you had to install them manually, either from the GitHub repo or using Chocolate or something like that. And now uh, things get even easier because Power Toys is now part of the Microsoft Store. So you can now install that directly from the Microsoft Store. Um, that's really cool um, and makes your life even easier in order to, to get this really super useful, super helpful functionality on your Windows system. And with that, I'm at the end of today's session. I hope I had some news for you. I hope I had some videos to catch up during the weekend, the week. And with that, I wish you a very nice Saturday, a great Sunday and a successful next week. Until next Saturday, see you then. Bye.